0: you may wonder, you know, what's this, you know, Ephesus state pen, and and what's this letter from prison thing, and what's that all about? Well, uh, the book of Ephesians in the Bible is actually not a book at all. It's actually a letter, and it's a letter that is written by a guy named Paul. And he wrote it while he was in prison to a church in a place called Ephesus. And Uh, Ephesus is actually, uh, Paul in his ministry went on three missionary trips, and on his second missionary trip, he went to Ephesus, and he actually planted a church. And that church grew, and then on his third missionary trip, he went through Ephesus just to visit everybody, and the church was doing great, and it was growing, and as he was out... On his uh, third missionary trip, and he was preaching uh, the gospel and telling people about Jesus, uh, he was arrested and he was put into prison. And while he was in prison, uh, he wrote this letter of Ephesians to the people in Ephesus. And a lot of times when we look at the New Testament and we look at different letters that Paul wrote, that, that many times we, uh, he's writing a letter to correct the church, there's a problem going on in the church, and and he's writing a letter to, to help straighten them out. But the letter of Ephesians is not really like that at all. In fact, it's really uh, just a letter of encouragement. And as we take the next uh, several weeks and we go through this letter, the neat thing about it is that it it, it encouraged the believers at that time, and hopefully it will encourage our church. Um, Several months ago when we knew that we were going to be doing this series uh, I started wondering uh, what was Paul's mindset when he was writing this letter uh, I I'd, I'd never been in prison and uh, and he was writing this letter in prison and I thought that it would be really really helpful if if we could try to dive into the mind of Paul and and um, I know of uh, several people here who've been in prison, and and also people who have family members in prison. So I started writing some inmates uh, who were connected with our community, and asked them if they would go through Ephesians with us and kind of give us an uh, insider's view, so to speak, on on the the mind of Paul and and really. What maybe he was feeling as an inmate. And this week, uh, I have a letter to start us off with that was written to us. And I think it's kind of cool that Paul from prison was writing a church uh, to encourage them. And, and we have a letter from prison that uh, was written for our church uh, to encourage us. And I wanted to read that to you guys. It says, To the members of E3, These are my reflections as an inmate and Christian concerning Ephesians chapter 1. The thing that I'm drawn to in this chapter is Paul's emphasis that we've been chosen to belong to Christ. I belong to him and his plan and his blessings. Belonging to such a thing soothes a fear that is common to those that are incarcerated Feeling is though you, have, you no longer belong to anyone or anything. In my own experience, I have felt this more strongly with each passing year that I am away. With each year, I have felt as though I belong a little less to the circle of friends I once enjoyed, the family members I was close to, and the talents and hobbies I once claimed. As the years have mounted, I no longer even feel like I belong to the times that others are experiencing. I thought that was an interesting point. They are foreign to me as those once close friends and once cherished family members. The sense of belonging simply erodes. The times are described to me, but no longer being there, or being involved with them. This, be, or this belonging erodes nearly unnoticed until one day you feel that you are on your own, as though you've been left behind and the rest of the world just kept on turning, watching life unfold from the sidelines, no longer anticipating and no longer belonging, only watching. Even with the admirable and compassionate acts of family and friends to remain in touch, a void remains. A void entrenched by many years of absence from the world. However, in these scriptures of Ephesians chapter 1, I'm given a sense of belonging. I feel a spark of belonging that transcends everything I've known and anything I feel I've missed. I'm It reunites me with friends and family by allowing me to belong to an eternal plan that we all share and experience. A plan I belong to, you belong to, and everyone I deeply love belongs to. I can even belong to the times again because I belong to a plan that is involved in every era of time. So although I miss my family and friends, And I miss the times I would be sharing with them. I belong to something much greater. And that enables me to belong in a much deeper sense. Let's pray. Dear God, as we uh, open up this letter from prison to the church in Ephesus. And that you also preserve to be a letter to us. God, I just pray that we will be encouraged, that we will be challenged, that we will be able to hear these words that you gave Paul to move us closer to your heart and mind. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Many things strike me about this letter, just how profound and deep thought that that went into it. Um, and I think that it, his honesty and his openness kind of gives us a, a glimpse into maybe what Paul's mindset was, because in Ephesians, Paul talks a lot about unity of the body, of the, body the body of Christ, which Christ uh, which is used as a metaphor as, as the church, coming together and fellowshipping with one another and keeping the main things the main thing and keeping what is important right in front of us and it's interesting as you, you think about that and and you know you think about the different churches that have have gone before us and that are all around us have you ever really thought about the church how how diversified it is I mean, you think about house churches in in China that meet in secret. They don't look like an American church. They don't do things like an American church. Or maybe you know you think about the mega churches up in Chicago or uh, in in California with you know tens of thousands of people, or other churches that maybe have you know. 15, 20, 30 members that are in old country church or on a storefront. I've even heard about churches that meet in old uh, barbecue restaurants. You know, there's all sorts of different churches, and you start to scratch your head and go, okay, wait a second. And I know that this is something that that perplexes many people who aren't part of the church. And they think, you know, why why so many different churches? Why, why you know, do people worship the same God in so many different ways. And it's almost thought of as, as a negative, but I, I really think it is a positive because it actually shows what the church really is. See, the church isn't a building. The church cannot be contained by four walls, no matter if those are four walls in a house or uh, four walls that that are in, you know, a 100,000 square feet auditorium. It has nothing to to do with the style of worship or or if the teaching is expository or, or, or topical or some sort of mixture of both. What is important and what makes a church are the people. The people who have come together for the expressed purpose of bringing glory to God. I mean, think about that. You, it, it's amazing that, that this building could go away or another building could go away, that you can walk in to any Christian church and you are automatically part of something much larger than that single local expression could ever be. You're part of something timeless. And the thing about the letter that we got, our church was given by prison, is he's tapped into that. He realized that, that time that maybe he's missing the time right now. But it doesn't really matter because he is part of a much bigger era. He's part of the story of God and so are we. And when we are living out the mandate of what God has called us to do, those of us who call ourselves fully devoted followers of Christ, that we are coming together in unity to worship him, to bring glory to his name, to be ambassadors of him to a lost and hurting world, to coming together and encouraging one another to outbursts of love and good deeds, fellowshipping and just being with one another and going out and being the tangible hand of Christ when we keep those things the main thing. And it doesn't matter where our body is as far as the body of Christ. Because we are Jesus' church. If you will open up your, your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start off, and, and Paul starts this letter just like you would start a letter. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Basically, that's a first century uh, greeting. Basically, if we just, you know, just say, hey, what's up? You know, hey, this is, you know, Mark and, and hope you're doing well, you know, and then and then we start writing our letter and he's basically just saying hey guys i'm writing from prison and and i just i miss you guys and and i'm excited to hear about what you guys are doing and i'm so proud of you and i just want to give you some words of encouragement and this first chapter really has two different parts the first part is he really talks about the basis of all spiritual blessings and then he switches in the second part and talks about his hopes and his dreams and his prayers for the church, not only the one in Ephesus, but the one in Tallahassee, Florida on Mahan Drive. And This letter is as personal to us as it was to them. And in the first part, when we're, he's talking about the basis of all spiritual blessings. And I think a lot of times those of us uh, who are followers of Christ, that, that we, we know about salvation and we, we know about spiritual blessings, but we really don't know what the basis of it is, or maybe we know, but we don't know how to articulate it very well. And here at the beginning of this letter, Paul is just giving a reminder to each and every one of us, what are we about? And he talks about in the first part, he talks about God's plan for humanity. In verse 3, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, check out this word united that Paul is going to repeatedly say united, and we're going to expound on that in a little bit. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy, without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him pleasure. I don't know if you, if just just hearing that have the have had to have the uh the ability or, or just really allowed that to sink in the magnitude of what Paul is communicating to us here. You see, he's talking about how God chose us and he, and he knew us. And here at E3, we talk about life and, and, and the important things of life in this way. We say the The most important things in life is to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. I mean, if you can get those two things down in life, you're going to do pretty well. I often think when you have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people, there's not much that, that can derail you, that you can go through just about anything. But the magnitude of this is is that God chose us and chose to have a relationship with us knowing what we were going to do. I mean, think about it this way. Think about your relationships in the past. And think about if you were given a DVD of that relationship, just the high points and the low points. And before engaging in a a relationship with somebody, before you you go out to coffee for the first time or whatever, you get to get this DVD and you can watch how the whole relationship is going to unfold. I wonder how many relationships we would have avoided. Really? Really? I mean, think about that. I mean, think about all of us have had relationships that have ended really badly. Relationships that hurt us and cut us to the core. That when you think about it, even to this day, there's, there's pain. Well, we don't have that ability, but God does. And even though He knew that we were going to turn our backs on Him, that He still chose us, that it was His plan that He was going to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for those times that, that we offended Him. I mean, just think about it very just practically or simply, in Jesus' life. Think about the disciples that he chose. He chose Peter. He chose Peter to be one of his closest out of the 12. And he chose him to be the the starting point of the church. And what did Peter do? Peter publicly denied Jesus Christ three times in his biggest hour of need. Or think about Judas. He chose Judas too, knowing that he was going to betray him. And I think if we think about that and we think about relationships that we have had where we've been betrayed or or hurt, that we would have never probably started that relationship. But God, in His plan, already knowing these things about us, still chose to be in relationship with us. That is love that I don't think that really many of us or any of us can really comprehend. And he didn't even just stop there. You see, in God's plan, we were created to be in relationship with God. And because that we've turned our back on God, there was a separation, and there was was a transgression, and there was a price that needed to be paid. And he chose, in his plan, to send his son to come down and to... Pay that price. And this is where it goes second is the basis of our blessings is that that salvation was purchased and carried out by Jesus. In verse 6, So we praise God for the glorious grace He had poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. Furthermore, because we are united, there it is again, united with Christ, We have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews were the first to trust in Christ and would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when we believe in Christ, He identifies you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. You see here, he's talking again. Why did Jesus come to, to reestablish that relationship, to pay the price for our transgressions, to pay the price for Peter denying him, to pay the price for if Judas betraying him, to pay the price for us when we have turned our back on God. That it is God's desire that all of us have a restored relationship with Him. In Scripture, it says that Christ died for all. You know what all means in Greek? All means all. It's not very complex. He has a desire for to be in relationship with everyone. And he desires his church to come together and fulfill what He has called His body to do. The problem is that, that many times that the body gets sick. And the body gets sick when the body starts not doing the main things that it's meant to do. How does a human body get sick? Cells erupt or or... or, gets, or or viruses get in and stuff like that. Well, the same thing with Christ's body, the church. When we stop doing the things that we're meant to do, and we start doing other things, then things go wrong. I've heard uh, stories about how different churches have have split or closed down over like the dumbest things. Like I heard about this one church. That, that actually split. That they didn't fellowship together anymore over the color of the new carpet. I mean, it's you 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 sit there and you go, how how could reasonable people? How, how could it come to that? And, and yeah, you know, I I don't think that that's really the cause. Have you ever been in a discussion with your spouse or somebody else if you're, if you're not married? Like, maybe you've hypothetically forgot to take out the trash. And you, you start to get in a, in a discussion about, hey, you know, it, you know, you should have taken out the trash. You are know, like, yeah, I know I should have. I totally forgot. And, and, the, and the conversation escalates. And maybe you say to your spouse, I don't don't understand why you're getting so upset about the trash not being taken out. And then there's a turn in the conversation and they may respond to you, you think this is about the trash. You know, and at that point, If you still think it's about the trash, as your pastor, I would suggest you lie and say no. (laughs) Because you're going to get a lot more grace from God than probably your spouse at this point. I'm just saying. (laughs) What is the argument about? It's not about the trash. It's about something much larger. It's probably about... the the investment that the person who forgot to take out the trash is having in the family. The time and the priorities that, that they are elevating above what they are meant to do. And I think the same is true. When you hear about churches splitting over petty, stupid things, that it's not those things it's not about the trash it's about something much larger and I think if you trace it all the way back you'll see that somewhere along the line the church stopped having unity in the main things and started majoring in the minors somewhere along the line that they forgot that they were meant to come together and bring glory to God That somewhere along the line that we forgot that we are meant to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that we are meant to come together and fellowship with one another and love each other and know each other. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that we are meant to see people through Christ's eyes and try to encourage them to be the man or woman that... God had created them to be. Somewhere along the line, we forgot that we are the tangible hands of Christ. Somewhere along the line, the church lost its hands and lost its feet and lost its mouth and lost its eyes and lost its ears. And it just sits there. not living out what a whole healthy body was designed to be. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's like, look, God chose you even though he knew the problems that were going to happen. God adopted us into to His family. And we are to have unity in our family on the main things, on the main things that God has called us to do. And guess what? There's a grand theological idea out there. I'm going to share it with you. This is how it goes. You can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. You see, Look, God picked, not our nose, our family, that we don't have a choice. You know, in our biological families, we have the crazy aunt and the deadbeat, you know, uncle or, or whatever. You know what? They're family. Not in our local church, but I hear in other churches, they have the kind of the equivalent, spiritual equivalent of the crazy aunt and the deadbeat. Uncle. But you know what? We don't choose. God chooses. They, Christ died for all. And what our responsibility is, is to be a healthy family, doing the things that a healthy body does. That's worshiping. Glorifying God's name. That is being an ambassador and telling others about him, that connecting with one another and laughing with them and crying with them. That is encouraging one another to outbursts of love and good deeds and that is going out and being the tangible hand of Christ to a lost and hurting world. And Paul continues on and closes out the basis, the first part of the letter here, of, of the spiritual, uh, basis of spiritual uh, blessings. In verse 14, it says, look, the Spirit of God, God's guarantee that we, that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. That's why we're in the family, to bring glory to God. I mean, I don't know what you've been told, but this is, you know, advanced follower of Christ stuff. When you finally realize, wait a second, it's not about me, it's about God. When you finally are able to say, oh my gosh. You know, I got all these hurts and these hang-ups and everything, but all of those things are to bring glory to God. That my whole life is to bring glory to God in everything that I do. When you cross that line, and you start and you realize that it's not about me, it's about him. Then your perspective and your life begins to change, and here Paul switches, and then he talks. He's going to talk about a prayer that he had for Ephesus and a prayer that he has for us. Four things that he desperately wants for the body of Christ, the church. Verse fifteen says, "Ever since I heard of your strong faith in Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly." Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And that's his first prayer is, Look, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. And this is probably one of the questions that I get all the time. How do you you know God? How do you get to know Him more and more? And I think that one thing that... That uh, people who are on a spiritual journey um, and seeking out uh, Yahweh, seeking out God, a mistake that they make is they look at their relationship with God as foreign. I'm going to let you in a little secret here God is the author of relationships. And the relationships that you have with other people and how you've built that is the exact same way that you build a relationship with God. How do you build a relationship with somebody? Say that you saw somebody here tonight and you wanted to get to know them better. What would you do? You'd go over there and what would you do? You would ask them their name, right? You'd ask them maybe where they're from. You'd start to talk to them. And if you wanted, it went okay, and they didn't seem like somebody was really creepy or would stalk you or something like that, then maybe, you know, you would uh, uh, go out to coffee with them or something like that in a well-lit place, and... Uh, you know, and, and, and what would you do? You would talk, right? And, and you would learn a little bit more about them. And, and, and you'd start hearing about where they were from and the different experiences that they've had in life and, and what they've done. And then if, if it keeps on going well, you'd see them more and more, right? And then you'd start going and actually building history with them, that you would start going places with them. And when you go and do something with somebody, What happens? You start to see how they respond to different things. You get to see when somebody cuts in line. What do they do? Do they bonk them on the head? Do they sit there and do nothing? Do they say something? Different people do different things. How do they drive? I, I, You know what? If I was a psychologist, I wouldn't sit in an office and a couch. I would just get the person... Have them drive me around the block a few times. I could tell you everything about them. i tell you their personality, I'd, everything. But just driving with them, you, you learn how they respond to being cut off or bad traffic or high gas prices or, or whatever. You start to learn about their character. The same, this is how you build a relationship with your Father in Heaven. Maybe the, the hello is, is coming to a place of worship just like this. Maybe tonight is the first time and maybe this is your first hello to God. And you're like, God, cool. This is kind of interesting. Pastor's got a do-rag. <laughs> He's got some weird prison tats. Okay, kind of bizarre, but all right. You know, and then... You know, you get to know Him a little bit more. How do you, you do that? You you can join a growth group that we have going just about every night of the week. Or you can open up your Bible. You know what the Bible is? All right, I'll tell you. The, the, you know what? The Bible is the equivalent of hearing about somebody's history, about where they've gone and what they've done. The Bible is the, is the history, is the story of God and His interaction with the human race. You can learn so much about God's character by, by learning about what He's done in the past. And then finally, the real big thing that happens you get to know God is when you start going out and doing things with him that you that you go and and you go to the mobile food ministry on a Saturday and you serve and you are the tangible hand of Christ or you sign up for a global outreach trip and you go to Guatemala and you you know you raise the resources to go down there you raise resources to 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 do a project down there, and you see that God is faithful along every step of the way. That you're out there and you're putting yourself in places that you're going to experience Him. This is how you get to know God. The next prayer that He had is in verse 18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. He's saying, look, the next way that you get to know God and you grow is when you understand that God fulfills his promises. And he wants us desperately to understand that. But the only way that we can understand that with a real heart knowledge is to experience it. Understanding, as it says in this scripture, in a, in a different, it says, God, everything happens according to God's purpose. Another translation says, all things work together for good for those who love him. Doesn't mean it all work out the way we want to work it out, but it will work out for good. And there's no way to know that that promise is true until you've walked with God through some very adverse situations. Verse 19 and 20, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Knowing God's power, This this part of his prayer just blows me away. It almost makes me scared because I don't even know what it would be like to experience firsthand the power that, that raises somebody from the dead. And Paul's saying, I want you to experience this power unreserved in its full measure. But that's his prayer for us. E3, Element 3 Church, 2008, Tallahassee, is that we experience the full measure of God's power. And then he finally prays that this. He says, "...seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms." Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. He's finally saying, look, I want you to have Christ in his proper position. What does that mean? It means in each and every one of our lives that really, truly, we are fully devoted followers of Christ. What does that mean? That means when we have a a decision to make between our own ambitions and what God wants for us, we choose Jesus' instruction. Some of those are easier than others. Like Jesus says, love your enemies. You know, somebody, you know, boyfriend cheats on you or or, or, or something like that. Or, or somebody is doing a lot of rotten stuff to you and everything. And, you know, it's our instinct. We want to put like sugar in their gas tank or or. Uh, somebody's done that. Uh, or, or, you know, slash their tires or, or strike back or, or make a website of them, you know, uh, you, know, you know, and do some Photoshop stuff to make them look really, really bad. You know, this is what we want to do. That's our carnal nature. Jesus says, nah, that's not what a follower of Christ does. A follower of Christ. Loves them. It's hard to do. Putting Christ in a position where we say, you know what? I want this, but it doesn't matter because I want more what God wants. And Paul's saying, look, this is my prayer for you. That you know and elevate Christ to his rightful position as Lord and leader of your life. That you will experience his power, that that you will trust in his promises, and that you will build a relationship with him. And when you do that, you will start to experience the freedom. The freedom that was paid at such a high price by Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was in prison. But not many of us have been in a physical prison. But all of us have been in different types of prisons. Emotional prisons, spiritual prisons, addiction prison, sexual prison. We know what it is to be captive to something. And the truth is, that Jesus Christ has given us the key by what he did on the cross so we can be free. But also often we're like the fabled king who was had a kingdom and one day a group of conspirers wanted to overthrow the kingdom. But They didn't have the army to do it. So this is what they did. They invited the king, who was already rotund. That's fat, by the way. To a banquet up in the tower. And he squeezes through the door and they did this for many days. They had this huge feast. And when it, it was time to exit. They all walked out the door, and the king waddles. it gets stuck, and he can't get out the door because he had eaten too much and he had grown in even greater stature. So the king is stuck in the tower. and they start to take the kingdom over, and the king knows, I need to go and take care of my kingdom. But the people conspiring against him kept on putting delicious food into the tower. They would put like chocolatey ho-hos. Mm. Sundays and blizzards. You know what I used to like are those shamrock shakes at McDonald's. They don't serve them anymore. I was talking, you guys probably didn't know what those are. But like every St. Patrick's Day, they'd have a shamrock shake, and it was like this nasty, minty, glob of gooey wonderfulness. They would give the king those things, and he would just slurp them up as his kingdom slipped away. Was he a prisoner? Yes. But he was a prisoner of his own device. All he had to do was stop eating to save his kingdom. If you or any of us or me are in a prison of any type tonight, we're just like that king. There are no guards at the door that we have the key All we have to do is accept the price that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross, accept the plan that God chose us and wanted to adopt us as his sons and daughters, princes and princesses, and to walk through that door free. Free. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the introduction of this letter that Paul wrote to us. God, I pray that we are challenged. I pray that if there's anyone here tonight who is stuck in their own prison, that you will give them the courage to ask someone to help, that they will go over to the prayer couch and connect with Pastor Dan after this gathering and pray. Find out how to use the key to be free from prison. God, I just thank you for our freedom. And I just pray that we can experience it, that we can experience all your power and all your goodness. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.